get your Bibles out and go to Hebrews 11.1. 1. Say, I'm ready for the word. Now, we're going, I'm going to do something tonight. I'm going to answer one huge question for you, and I'm going to fix a huge problem that many of you have had with your prayer life. And we're going to see why it is that some people pray and pray and pray and don't get their prayers answered and why some people do. And I want to show you what you need to do, and it's not that difficult. Okay, are y'all ready? Um, there's, there's a word in the Bible, and we're going to look at it right now. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of seen. Let's go over it again. Faith is a substance, just tangibility of what you're hoping for. Now, in this church, and in the last 30 years or more, we've had everyone from Kenneth Copeland to Kenneth Hagin teaching the body of Christ about faith in God. Many of you have heard a hundred sermons on it. You've heard sermons on healing. You've heard sermons on getting your prayers answered. And we emphasize faith a lot. But I'm going to take another word in this scripture, and we're going to talk tonight about what happened to hope. And the reason hope got poo-pooed, and I don't mean, I mean, it kind of got a bad rap, because when Kenneth e. Hagin was first teaching faith, he would ask people, and they'd say, well, I'm hoping. He said, well, hope ain't going to do you any good. It's going to be whatever you believe. Whatever you desire when you pray, believe you receive it, it's going to take faith in God to bring the answer to you. And it wasn't that he was speaking despairingly of hope. It's just that hope and hope alone won't get your prayer answered. So I'm going to come back to the word hope, and I want to take it apart tonight and explain to you that it's very important what you hope. So it says faith is a substance of what you're hoping for. And I want you to think about a balloon for a moment. A hot air balloon. Now, when I lived in Pine Hills, it seemed like on Saturday morning the hot air balloons would come right over my house. And about the time the sun's first coming up, they would turn on those jets and that heat and it'd scare you slap out of bed. But they were putting heat in the balloon. Now, the balloon is worthless without heat. And heat's worthless without a balloon. And the, both of them are worthless but together, you can fly. So, so the hot air, someone says, well, you know, you're a dreamer. Well, that's nothing wrong with that as long as you're dreaming according to the word. But dreaming and, and imagination and hoping is very necessary to get in your faith, your prayers answered. So I want to back up a minute and talk about faith for just a minute. Um, Matthew 9, go to Matthew 9, and I, wanna, I just want to show you about faith before we change and jump to hope. 9.22. Jesus is talking to the, to the lady that had the issue of blood. I want to read verse 20. 20. Suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood 12 years came from behind, touched the hem of his garment. She said, if I touch his garment, I'll be made well. And Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, 
he said, be of good cheer, daughter, your faith made you well. Now, if her faith made her well, your faith can make you well, or your faith can fix whatever you're having a problem with. All right, now let's, let's look at another one. Um, 929, it says, And he touched their eyes and said, talking about two blind men, According to your faith, not according to my power, but according to your faith, be it unto you. I think the Lord would like to say to you, according to your faith tonight, be it unto you. According to your faith. Let's look at one more, 8.26. We're going backwards. And he said, why are you so fearful, O you of little faith? And he rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a great calm. So he talked about the fact that he saw their faith, that her faith made her whole, um, uh, and then someone having little faith. And then go to Matthew 20 now. Just turn to 20. And this is actually Mark 11, 23 and 24, where Matthew... Uh, I think I'm in the right one. Am I? No, I think I'm 21. Hold on. Yeah, 21. I'm sorry. My bad. Nothing like a slip of the ink pen. Let's go to 18. Now in the morning as he returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it. And he found nothing on it but leaves and said to it... No fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered. The disciples saw it and marveled how did the fig tree wither away so soon. Jesus answered and said, Surely I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to this fig tree, but also if you say to a mountain, be removed and cast and see, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer believing, you receive them. Now, um, when we start talking about faith, there's an element that he mentioned there, and that's faith is a substance of what you hope for. The missing ingredient is most people's prayer life is hope, and it's your imagination. How much of the Bible are you allowing it to change the way you think? I'm not talking about sitting in church and hearing a sermon on healing, but is it affecting the way you think and see? If it is not, your faith will not work. The woman with the issue of blood says, if I touch his garment, I'll be well. She sees that getting a hold of the anointing is going to drive that, that, that sickness out of her body and she acted on it, but she said, I will be well. She saw healing before she got there. Now, all of us have heard this. We've all heard. We're going to go pretty deep. We're going to go pretty deep. We're going to get real good tonight. And we're going to fix some. Okay. Um, 
This is Kenneth Hagin's book out there, uh, Faith Bible Study Course. Um, and, he, and he's writing something here, he's writing, and I want to read something to, to you. It says, many times we got our attention focused on the wrong thing. When it comes to healing, we consider our own body and the symptoms that try to attack our bodies. That is what we're thinking about and looking at, and the more we look at the symptoms, the worse we get. Center your attention and your mind on what Jesus did for you and what he's doing for you as your high priest. Jesus is doing something for you now. He's seated at the right hand of God making intercession for you. Now let's move on. It says in Proverbs 4.20, My son, attend to my words, incline your ears to my saying, do not let them depart from in front of your eyes, keep them in the middle of your heart. My words are life to those that find them and health to your flesh. He says, I want to call your attention to the one verse, let my words not depart from your eyes. Many people fail because they see themselves failing. They keep the wrong thing in front of their eyes. Understanding this was a turning point in my life because up until that time I read the scripture, I had always seen myself, now he's talking about he's on the deathbed, as dead. I could picture every detail of my death, and after I read the passage of Scripture, I could see myself well. I began to see myself alive. I began to see myself doing things I never did in my life because of my heart condition. I knew God called me to preach, and I could see myself preaching. I began to get ready for it. He's still in the bed. He still has symptoms. He's still sick. But the scripture, he read a scripture, and it says it'll be health to your flesh. And he says, well, if it'll be health to my flesh, then I'm not going to be in this bed forever, and I'm not going to die. I'm going to live. And he began to use his imagination. Now, I'm going to stop right here because I'm fixing to say something to you. Then don't ever forget it the longest day you live. Most Christians that come to this church, most, have never allowed the scriptures they're reading to change their imagination at all. Amen. Doesn't change you at all. You read, by stripes I'm healed, by stripes I'm healed, by stripes I'm healed, by stripes I'm healed. And as far as you're concerned, you're sick as a dog and dumb as a rock. And it's the way you see yourself. And your scripture has never changed anything. And so when you get in the hospital and they stick IVs in you, the hospital is the worst place in the world to see yourself well. Because yes. all around you is death. That's right. If you're not ready before you go, tell me what box you want and what songs you want sung. I'm being, that sounds a little mean, but, I'm, but listen, you and I are going to have to start planning now. More than just pick up a scripture and read a few scriptures like a good Baptist, getting your star by your name, how is that scripture you're reading affecting the way you think? Yeah. I'm blessed coming in. I'm blessed going out. I, he always causes me to triumph. Mm -hmm. What does that do to my mind? There's no defeat in my mind. I don't think defeat. 
I don't mean I don't have defeat thoughts come in my mind. I just don't stay. Because the Word of God says I'm blessed coming in, I'm blessed going out. Abraham's blessings are mine. He has made unto me all things that pertain to life and godliness. So I choose to see that I'm blessed. I see God is on my side. And I see it. I see it. Now, it, there's times it looks like it's wrong, but, but hope, see, I'm hooking the scripture with hope. Hope deferred will make the heart sick. When you're depressed, you're looking at the hopeless situation as though it was real and you've lost faith in God. You, have, you are not in faith. I'm just believing God. Not with that face. Are you all understanding this? I'm not criticizing. I'm, I'm just showing you this is something that has to start now. This, when you get, the, when you get a, 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 a runny nose, don't grab an aspirin bottle. Start using your faith now. Don't wait until the doctor says cancer to grab a Bible. Don't wait until they call you up and tell you that you lost your job to grab a Bible. You need to be rooted and, gr and grounded in the Word of God while everything's going well. So how is it affecting the way you think, the way you see? Are you all okay? Many people fail. They see themselves failing. They keep the wrong thing in front of their eyes. Understanding this, was a turning point in my life until that time I read the scriptures. I had always, this is Brother Hagin, seen myself dead. I'm reading it again. I know I'm reading it again. I'm not, I'm doing it on purpose. I could picture every detail of my death. He even had his funeral planned. And after I read the passage of scripture, I would see myself well. I saw myself alive. I see myself doing what I had never done in my life because of my heart condition. In other words, if I'm healed, I don't have a heart condition and, and God is moving in my life. I knew God called me to preach and I saw myself preaching, so I began to get ready. Even when I was bedfast, I asked for a tablet and a pencil and I got my Bible to begin to prepare sermons. Now, do you understand? He's still got all the symptoms. Do y'all see what changed in him? I, I'm, I, I, man, I got a future and a hope. Glory to God. Now, he's not waiting until all the symptoms leave to believe it. He's believing it because of the Bible. The reason many people fail is they get ready to fail and they see themselves failing. Now, again, notice the word says, let my words not depart from your eyes. If you know that what God's word says, Jesus took your infirmities and bare your sickness, that's past tense. If the word does not depart from your eyes, you're bound to see yourself without sickness and without disease, not getting healed when you're sick, but you're the healed. That's who you are. You are the healed. You're not sitting around here going, I believe I'm a man. I believe I'm a man. I believe I'm a man. I believe I'm a, I'm a man. If the word does not depart from, I know a few men who have, have struggled whether they're a guy or a girl or not, but that's never been my, never been a problem I've had. If the word does not depart from your eyes, you're bound to see yourself well and see yourself as he see, says you are. If you do not see yourself without sickness and disease, 
and don't see yourself as well, the word has departed from your eyes. What good is it to go in the hospital and pray for you when you think you're dead? Now, I want to tell you something about me praying for people in the hospital. If you tell me you're believing God, I will never say anything to contradict it. And I will agree with you and leave. And if I come back a week later and, you're, and they tell me you died, I'm not going to go and, and throw you under the bus, but, but you and I know and Jesus knows you weren't in faith. You know, no sense in saying anything. You know, uh, I'll say something in a minute. Although God wants to make his word good in your life, he can't. He can't. You're not, you're not acting on the word. You are not acting on it. All right, it's hard for me to follow the thinking of some people. Anyway, I don't want to get into all of that. I think I'm done. It says, you've got to believe you've got the answer, and you've got to boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Now, um, go to 2 Corinthians 10. the most difficult thing you'll ever do in your life is to maintain your faith in a bad situation. It is not easy to do. It is not easy to do. can be done, but it's not easy. So we see Jesus talking to people, according to your faith, be it unto you. And he, let, and, and he said, your faith. And Abraham had faith that he would have a child, though he was impotent and his wife was barren. Because he didn't consider his body, he considered what God said. And I will get into that scripture and I'm going to show you what God did to get him in faith. I'm going to show you what he did to him. Very interesting. 2 Corinthians 10, 3. Though we walk in the flesh, we're not warring according to the flesh. You are in a war. The weapons of your warfare are not carnal, that means physical, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. What are the strongholds you need to be pulling down? Their wrong imaginations. We're going to read it, but I want you to see this. Casting down arguments, King James says, imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring every thought captivity to the obedience of Christ. That means you've got to do something with your thinking and go, no, you're not going to think like that. You're going, no, you're not going to think like that. And it's not something that you do when you get in trouble. You do this every day. We the just live by faith. It's a lifestyle, so I'm going to read something to you out of this book, Andrew Womack's Find, uh, Follow, and Fulfill the Will of God. Listen to this, what he said here, and this is powerful. Imagination is not something you can afford to ignore. Multi-millionaire 
entrepreneur who travels and speaks about business and wealth says every week he takes one day off to be quiet and think. He does not conduct any business on that day. He takes inventory of where he is and where he wants to go and essentially begins fueling his imagination. This is the practice that helped him earn millions and millions of dollars. Um, what's his name out in Wisconsin, out in Minnesota? The pastor there. What's Mac Hammond. Hammond said every morning when he wakes up, he gets quiet before God and, and it fuels his imagination on what he wants to accomplish and he sits and dreams. Now we would think, what a total waste of time. Not so. Not so. Your imagination, Joyce Meyer says, where the mind goes... The man follows. Whatever you're thinking about is where you're going, good and or bad. Satan wants your mind. God wants your mind. If God can get a hold of your mind, he can take you anywhere. Think about what I just said. So the key... To faith is hope. Faith is the substance of what you're hoping for. No hope, you're done. So you have to think. Now think think about what I just told you to think about. You've got to take some time every day and think, where do I want to be next year? What do I want to, where do I want to be going? How much money do I want to be making? How am I going to get there? And you've got to allow your imagination to run with you so that you have something to hook the Word of God to. Do you all understand that? That's why it's important you don't just lay around and veg and watch, you know, just stupid television programs all the time because you've never learned. When I grew up, we only had three channels. And we didn't watch TV. We didn't have Facebook. We didn't have telephones. We actually had to go out and pretend like we were a cowboy or an Indian or whatever. And so I pretended like I was a cowboy until I went and bought a horse. Brought it home. Honest to God, in the neighborhood. And built a stall. And bought bought a saddle. And started learning to ride and rope. I'm a kid. But it didn't matter to me. I was a cowboy, and a cowboy ain't no good without a horse. And so nobody told me I couldn't have one. I went and bought one. Clean stables. But that's the difference in that generation and this one. And then I started dreaming about a car, and I started dreaming about pretty girls, and then I started dreaming about getting out of high school. Now, I'm going to tell you a story right now. I'm just, just, let's, let's just talk about this a minute. How powerful your imagination is and, and, I'm, and I'm talking about what you choose to think about. And I'm listening to a tape by Kenneth Copeland, and I'm at Ramah. I'm going to Bible school. And Kenneth Copeland started talking about flying airplanes. 
And I, and I decided that I wanted to learn to fly. Now, one of the things I didn't consider was how much money it cost. I never asked the question. I didn't care. What, what did that have to do with whatever you desire when you pray, believe it's granted? If you can afford it, you can have it. I don't remember reading that in there. Because your faith will bring the money to you to do what you dream of doing. It'll bring the people. So I get in my Honda Civic, and I'm coming home to Athens, and I, and I opened up the hood and pre-flighted the car. It's an airplane. And I get in it, and I roll the window down, and I said, clear, prop, and cranked it. And I pulled out and picked up a radio. There's not one in there. I said, I said um, Tulsa Tower, this is 01 Tango, and I, I'm taxiing out on Garnett Drive and pulling down on the Broken Air Expressway, and uh, we'll be on headed uh, east, uh, and, and we'll be climbing to 10,000 feet. And, and, then I and then I was him, Roger, that, you know, 01 Tango. And I'm, a, I'm, I'm in an airplane. I'm, I'm in an airplane. It's a civic airplane. What am I doing? I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming. And I, and I dreamed about it, and I dreamed about it, and I dreamed about it. I mean, I thought about it, and I looked at airplanes, and I got pictures of airplanes, and I remember the day that, that this church, Word of Life Church, asked me to come preach over on... Votar Road, and that was the day that Michael Oliver got born again and Matthew Brabham got born again, and they gave me 50 bucks. And I went, glory to God, and I went down to Orlando Country, and an airplane was $28 an hour, and an instructor was 10 and for $38, and of course you always fly a little more than an hour, but for about every time that someone gave me $50 above my paycheck, I went and took a, a, a flight lesson. I, didn't have all, I never had all the money to get a pilot. All I ever had was one hour. But I got one hour, I'm going to get in the air and go fly one hour. But as far as I'm concerned, I've already got my license. And I remember the day, there was a day that, that I had taken this church. I'd already got my, my private. I got my private June 1st, 1988 at Executive with Bosch Log signing me off on private pilot's license. And I came back to Word of Life, and a lady here handed me $1,500 for my instrument rating, and I didn't need to wait for 10 bucks anymore, and I went and got instrument rating and got multi-engine instrument. But it started in Tulsa when I got in my car, which was my plane. Now, when a little boy had started on, my horse started on a stick. Some of y'all remember that. You did it too. Well, that's why Jesus said, you need to be like a child. You need to go back to your childhood days and let that old cranky brain of yours and knock all the cobwebs out of it and start dreaming about where you want to be and what you want to be doing, seeing yourself well, seeing yourself blessed, seeing yourself forgiven, seeing yourself the way God sees you. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to be a fight to do it. It's a fight. I'm telling you, the, the world is negative and the, and, and the Bible's positive and I'm telling you, you've got to force yourself to think and to be hopeful. So that's called a spirit of faith. When David saw Goliath, he saw Goliath dead. That's true. Folks, I mean, it wasn't even a shadow of doubt. I'm going to kill you. 
and, and everybody else saw themselves dead, but say David saw Goliath as dead because David saw Goliath was with him because David would sit out in the out in the um, out in the little prairie out there and throw rocks at stuff and pretend like he was a great warrior when all he was was a boy. And he was still a boy, but someone forgot to tell him he's only a boy. And he's already been killing giants. He'd killed thousands of giants. Then one day Saul saw and went, hey, hey, you ain't squat. I've already killed you a thousand times. I will put a rock between your eyes and take you out and cut your head off. And it never, it never dawned on him that it wouldn't work. But it wasn't his first fight. He had been thinking about it for a long time. Come on, y'all. What are you thinking about all the time? Have you allowed the word to change the way you think? What does it mean? By his bruises you are healed. What does it mean? If he was bruised for your iniquity, which is your sin is gone, sin, sickness is payment for sin. If your sins are paid, you are healed. I am the healed. I'm not trying to get healed. The devil's trying to put sickness on me. I've never tried to get a healing. I am the healed. I am the healed. That's who I am. That's called faith in God. Do you all understand that? But if you're not rooted in it when the doctor gives you a report, you've already waited way too late. Doing pretty good on it, Zach. All right. What is the difference in your imagination and to fantasy? Listen to this. Faith believes the impossible is possible. Did you know that every time you put your faith on something, it's impossible? or you wouldn't be believing God. If it was possible, you'd do it. So faith is always based on something that's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And so as long as your faith is in God, so you have to take your imagination and ask yourself a question, did God say I could have it? All right, now I'm going to show you the difference of a fantasy. What's a fantasy? Well, um, Sasquatch is a fantasy. Fairies bringing you money for your tooth is a fantasy. I'm not talking about a fantasy. I'm not talking about fantasying. I'm talking about imagination. And Andrew's the one that said this. If I were to ask you, how many windows are in your house? If I just stopped you and said, tell me how many windows in your house. You could count them. You could go, okay, there's two in the front, and right there's two, four, six, uh, 7, 8, 9, 10, 15, and you're not even there. What are you using? Your imagination. God gave you the imagination to use it properly. Without an imagination, you are not going anywhere in life. See, you have to know where the store is. If I said uh, Publix or Winn-Dixie, Everybody knows it's down the road to the right, and yet it's your imagination that tells you it's there. But if you don't know where it is, you have no imagination, so you don't know where you're going. So you're going to have to get your imagination cranked up 
before you'll ever figure out where you're even going in life. Wow, what a statement. I got another story to tell you all in a minute, and I can't wait. It's so exciting. Genesis 11, I didn't tell you this, so please don't holler at me. Genesis 11, 1. And in a minute, we're going to look at how God got Abraham to believe him for something seemingly impossible. Genesis 11.1. 1. The whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, Come, let's lay bricks and bake them, and let's have the brick for stone and the asphalt for mortar, and let us build ourselves a city. Stop. What's a blueprint? It's a house you're building. But it's not the house. Where did the blueprint come from? You dreamed it up. But the blueprint is a road map that everyone who picks it up, the electrician and the plumber and the carpenter and the roofer, they all know what you're thinking. And you need a blueprint before you begin anything. You need a blueprint before you start believing God for your healing. You need a blueprint when you start believing God for prosperity. Where are you going? How much money? Where are you getting? You need, a, you need a blueprint. And then after you get your blueprint, get some scriptures that back up. I can have this. Now, I'm going to show you something in the Bible. You're going to, like, you're going to read this going, oh, that is really awesome. We will build ourselves a city. There's no city yet. A tower whose top is in the heaven. All of this was their imagination. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they have one language, and this that they begin to do. Now, King James says they imagine. Nothing that they purpose to do will be withheld from them. If you got that on the screen, pop it on King James. I want them to see that. Is that in King James? Nothing they imagine will be withheld from them. Think about what God said about a group of lost people. There is nothing that you conceive in your imagination that is impossible for you to bring to pass. Now, do you want to know what the Hebrew word for imagination is? To conceive. Your, your, your soul is where you conceive like a woman getting pregnant with a baby. If you put a semen with an egg, that woman can conceive. If you'll take the word and put it with hope, you can conceive anything. What's, what's Tesla planning with his rockets? Don't tell me he can't do it. He most certainly can. And he'll figure it out. How is that possible? Well, some of you in here are old enough to remember Dick Tracy. I know Melanie's not that old. She's getting old, real old now. 
Y'all remember Dick Tracy talking to his watch? We got people talking to their watches right now. It was conceived in someone's imagination. The other day, I thought the coolest thing I've ever seen, I want one. These guys are taking drones and standing on them and flying. I love it. I love it. Some kid sat around and thought, if we put all these stupid drones together, I bet they'd carry us around the neighborhood. You know, kids are fun, and they're crazy. The skateboard stuff they do, I can't handle it. I just go, y'all are nuts in the head. Never mind. But I want you to look at this. Nothing you imagined will be withheld from you. Nothing. You can't, but see, if your imagination's not going, you're not, you're not going anywhere. That is extremely powerful. Remember the millionaire? Just sat around and used his imagination. Norval Hayes had 14 businesses. 14. How do you think God gives him a new one? His imagination. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. It's not a fantasy. I read that. Go to, go to Genesis 15 now. Turn the page twice. You ready for this? Good. Get ready because you, you, you need it. Genesis 15, 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, said, Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? That's what he sees. And Abraham said, look, you've given me no offspring. One born in my house is my heir. The word of the Lord came and said, this one shall not be your heir, but one will come from your own body will be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look, now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said, so shall your descendants be. What did he just do? Come outside. What's up there? Well, just stars. Everyone's a child. Somewhere in his imagination, he began to go, that's a lot of kids. God used a natural thing to look at to get him to see himself as a father. And if, what if God hadn't been able to do it? He would have never had a baby. That's heavy to, to some of y'all. God is limited by your faith. He's limited by your imagination. He told Andrew Walnut, he said, your lack of imagination is hindering me. I'm doing what I want to do with you. He started building a building when everyone else in America was going broke. But his imagination, he started seeing the building. He got the building and went in and drew all the rooms in it and went in and built him a little platform and stood up and preached in a building so he could see it. Do you all see that? When I wanted to get to build this building right here 
Word of Life Church brought in an average of two thousand a week. Um, it just cost us about six or seven thousand dollars a month just to keep the doors open. We barely had the money to pay my salary, which basically nothing. Lisa didn't get a salary at all. I think Cindy worked for me, and I think I had there was two of us on a on a payroll. And, 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 and God said, I want you to go over there and buy this piece of property, this one. Buy, buy the property, right. I have $2,000 coming in a week. I, 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 I don't have enough money to buy a shovel to dig a hole on the property. <laughs> but I walked the property, claimed it for myself. And I know I needed to get the church in agreement with me, so I drew a picture of this building as I got it in prayer. And I went down and I paid an artist $50 to do me a drawing of people coming in and going out. And I put it in the foyer so that every week the people would come in and go, that's our new church. That painting created their dream and this building off because I want you to start seeing a school here. I want you to see a Bible school. I want you to see it reaching the world. I want you to see with me. Because I'm using my faith. Oh, boy. When I got born again, the Lord dealt with me that I'm called. And I want to, I want to explain to you the house I lived in. And I didn't grow up this way quite this poor, but when I got married and moved out, I was flat dirt poor. And I lived in a house that probably the whole house wasn't even a thousand square feet. Two bedrooms, a kitchen, living room, a bathroom with a hole in the ceiling, and you could watch, you could lay in the tub and watch stars. I mean, it's, it's no heat, no air conditioning, concrete floor, uh, no sheetrock on the walls, none, and a pot-bellied wood stove for heat. Now, when the Lord called me and told me he had a call of God on my life, and he began to talk to me, he talked to me in visions. I began to see myself preaching to thousands of people. Now, you understand, I'm laying there making $83.30 a week and don't have enough money to buy a Burger King Whopper. But God began to show me the world. He got me pregnant with where I am so I could come where I am now. You understand? And that's how he works with you. He will, get your, he will get you pregnant with the answer so you can see where you're going. That's what praying in the Holy Ghost does. Now, um, Romans 8, 24. Hope is a positive imagination. It is a confident expectation that something good is going to happen to me. Now, you need to think, you need to think about that a minute. Well, no matter what you're going through, if God heard your prayer, then you have a confident expectation something good is going to happen. And very often when you're believing that, everything tells you not true. Romans 8, 24, I think. Let's read the scripture. We were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. 
For why does one hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. What's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that, well, I, I, I like to sit back and think about the time that I'm going to get to be with Jesus. That's a, that's a hope, the hope of glory. Jesus in me, I see that. Now, I'm going to tell you another story. Uh, it's just a personal story about how your faith produces. And it's simple, but it's true. You know, we talk about you can have what you say. I want you to understand that is simpler than you think it is. But it's not something you do once and hope that something happens. So years ago, um, I was flipping through my archery magazine, and I shot longbow for a long time. Now, that's a stick and a string and an arrow. That's no, there's no, there's no um, sights on it or anything. It's pure instinct. And I love shooting a longbow, and if I can say it humbly, was good at it. I could hit a ping pong ball 20 yards all day long. No, no big deal. Running, I mean, you could, you could roll a ball across it, I could shoot it. So I got to where my instincts were good. But there was one thing I had never done in my life, and that's shoot a deer on the ground. I mean, it, it helps to be up in a tree where they can't see you, smell you, or anything else. But I mean standing on the ground and shoot a deer. So I saw a, a T-shirt where there was a guy with a longbow, and he was standing in the woods, and he had drawn it back, and there was a deer about probably eight yards away turns, turned a quartering away that he's fixing to put an arrow in it. And I bought the T-shirt, and every time somebody asked me about my T-shirt, I said, this is me. This is me. And, and I, I mean, I dreamed of it. I mean, I'd never done it, but I know it can be done. But I just began to see myself doing that. Now, long story, the next fall, Lisa and I got invited to Wisconsin to go up to Harold and Mary's farm to go hunting. And I have a tree stand in the woods and in order to get to the tree stand so the deer don't smell me, I have to walk all the way around the property, which is about a mile, if not more, around the property and come into my tree stand, which is only about 400 yards from my house. But I got to go around it so the deer don't smell me. So I'm walking around the alfalfa fields and the cornfields and all the cows and all the dairy farms and all the dairy barn, all the dairy this and dairy that. Went to the neighbor's property and walked, oh, climbed over their fence and went down through, through their cornfield and then climbed a fence on the backside of where I want to hunt, climbed through, and there's a little tiny patch of woods about as big as the foyer that I had to walk through in order to get to my tree stand. Well, every morning I'm in the dark with a flashlight and I'm jumping a deer out of this little patch of woods every morning in the dark. I don't see it. I'm just kind of walking along, and I hear, and he's leaving. And, I, and finally, I got the bright idea, I'm going to kill him. So and rather than go to my stand the next day, and I don't have a stand here, I, I saw a chair by a pond, which is really a mud hole where 
cows got water. It's about as big as, you know, this row of chairs right here, and it's just muddy water is all it is. There's a chair sitting there. Someone probably threw catfish in it, and kids were fishing in it. So I grabbed that chair, climbed the fence, and went down in the woods, and where I knew there was an area that I had seen that deer, and, and, I, and I, oh, it was in the evening, I'm sorry, this is that, that evening, I jumped him that morning. Well, I got there about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I set that chair in the middle of just a bunch of briars and thorns and bushes. And I, when I sat down, I couldn't see anything, because the briars came to about here, and I had to kind of, every once in a while, and look up. So, finally, about... 45 minutes before dark, I look up, and there's a buck standing about where that door is right there uh, at a tree, and, and, I'm, and I'm squatting, and my, my legs are burning, and I can't keep this up, so I finally sit back down in the chair. I'm like, oh, God, oh, no. And I can't see the deer, and I can't see the deer, and I can't see the deer. And, and so finally, when my legs quit smoking, y'all know what I'm talking about, my legs are smoking. <laughs> I stood up, and the deer's gone. I'm going, oh, crap, where'd he go? And I looked, and he's right there. And I went, oh, shoot. And he's facing away, and I went, boom, and shot him. Exactly the T-shirt. The way the deer was looking, the number of antlers, everything was the T-shirt. Now, Lisa knows because I got my mother to draw the picture. The picture of me shooting the deer and the T-shirt are identical. But yet, the picture is me shooting the deer, not the T-shirt. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that what I said brought it? Yes. Absolutely. But it wasn't, I, I believe, for a deer named Gene, named Amen. That's, that's not what I did. I used my imagination over a period of time until that became real in me. It yes. became, yes. I got pregnant with it. Yes. I conceived it. Mm -hmm. yes. I'm going to stop for a minute and let y'all think. You see, worry is faith in the devil. Well, let me just tell you what's happening to me right now. It's all bad. I hope you don't mind staying there because you're not coming out anytime soon. Is it? Now, that's what Jesus said, whatever you desire. I think that what we've tried to do is push a button and pull a lever and think this is some sort of a get-rich-quick, just push a button, pull a lever, and it happens. Not so. Abraham believed God for 20 years. Yeah. Not waiting on God, God's waiting on him. Yeah. It's quiet in here, but I love it. Many of you, and I think Zach will remember this, anytime I want something, I go get a picture of it. Because I'm going to get what I want. I've learned a long time ago, don't buy what you don't want. Because after you buy what you don't want, you're still looking for what you want. 
Just go ahead and buy what you want to begin with and save your money. That's just that simple. That's, that's free. It ain't going to charge. So I got me a picture of my Tundra. And I put the wheels on it I wanted. I put the lift on it I wanted. I put the side steps on it. And I even put the little light on the front. And Mark came in one day and said, what is that? And I said, it's my truck. Now, I, I, I said, that's my truck every week for a year. And Mark looked at me and said, well, I'm just going to say this to you. Go buy it. And I went, all right, I'll obey God. <laughs> and I just took it as a word from the Lord, and I felt a peace. And I went into the Toyota dealership. I was, am I boring, y'all? I hope not, because what I'm talking about, this works for healing. This works for house. You want a house? You might want to get you a picture and go find out what you want. God don't know what you want. He can't answer a question. He can't answer a prayer. You don't even, you don't even know what you want. You don't know. If you don't know what you want, he don't know what you want. Get you a picture of the house. Find the neighborhood you want to live in. I mean, drive by it. Anoint it with oil. Call it in. So anyway, having said that, the truck was like $50,000, and I'm still paying on my other one. And, and I never did sit back and think about what it cost, but I thought, well, I'm just going to call it in. So when I went down to the Toyota dealership, I went, I went out there, and I told the man, I said, this is what I want. And I told him I want a white one, and I told him what I'm going to do with it. And he says, well, the white ones are, are, are near impossible to find. Well, I'm not moved. If there's one in the state, it's mine. I don't, I don't know what everybody else is doing, but I have a white one. All right, because they're easier to keep clean, that if y'all want to know. Plus, the good guy rides a white horse. Bad guy. drives a black truck. And anyway, so, so, so I'm in the dealership, and he says, we have a gray one. And I said, well, no, I'm not interested in a gray one. I don't care if everything's on it. I don't care about the, I said I want a white one. I told you what I want on it. And I told him, I said, this is what I want on the truck. I want it lifted three and a half inches. I want that little thing that closes the bed so when I pick Mary Fran up and Shekinah Glory and everybody else, their luggage doesn't get all soaking wet. And I said, I have to have the step or they can't get in. You know, so I have to have the step and I don't want it sticking out there where I'm going to knock it off in Tennessee when I'm deer hunting. It needs to fold and go away. And so I got, I got everything on it that I want. I know what I want. And so when I went in, they said, well, that doesn't exist. And I said, well, it exists somewhere. So long story long, he said, well, why don't you look at the gray one? I said, well, I'll look at it. And I went back, and it had everything on it, just wrong color. And I said, who owns this? He said, well, it's one of the managers owns it, and he's turning it in today. He can only put so many miles on a truck, and, it, and then he has to turn it in. He's allowed to drive it free because he's a big dog for a while. And I said, well, I want to talk to him because I want to know where he got it lifted and where he got the wheels, where he got the tires, where he got... In other words, everything on it, and tell me where you got all this stuff. He said, well, I'll go upstairs and get him. And he brings him down, and he looks at me and says, well, you ought to see the truck I'm building for me. I said, I would like to see it. He brings it out. It's white. <laughs> and it's everything on it. Now, listen, when do you think he started fixing my truck up? 
when I said, this is my truck. Are y'all, y'all out there, go home. I'm telling you, your faith will bring it to you. So I looked at him and I said, well, if I'm not mistaken, this truck is for sale. And he looked like I slapped him. He gulped real hard. He said, I've been working on that truck for over half a year to get it where I want it. I said, well, thank you. And the man, the the manager standing there went, you want the truck? I said, I just bought it. And he kind of walked off. And we worked a deal and I drove off in my truck. Are you all out there? But someone looked at me and said, go get it and go get it now. Are you all out there? Living like this is fun. Wow, I got got hundreds, hundreds of stories to tell you. When I'm in Texas, now I'm just going to tell me, I'm I'm not some faith giant. I'm not some superman, I'm not. I went in, my appendix had ruptured. Dr. Dr. Colbert had said, you have an infection in you somewhere and we don't know where it is. He says, but it's going to show up someday. Well, I'm in Texas, and my appendix completely ruptured. Well, I'm in my bed, bedroom up there, getting ready to go down to a meeting with um, Andrew Womack was there and um, James Robinson, and it had to do with elections for that year, and I want to know how to help my church with the elections. And so I went to this big meeting with General... um, Boykin, all, all these big dogs are there. Well, I'm in a room in the hotel and the in in the airport, and and the conventions in the hotel and the airport. So all I had to do is get off the airplane and go to my room. I didn't have to go very far. So I'm up there in my room, and all of a sudden my insides are just. Someone took a knife and stuck it right in my gut, and I'm going, man, that hurts bad. I'm thinking, man, I got to get some relief here. I got to go eat something. I got, man, I'm constipated bad. Well, I'm in there in in the room and I'm, and I'm just, and the Lord said, appendix, call an ambulance. And I went, okay. And all I had was a bag about that big with a pair of pants and skibbies and a shaving and toothbrush didn't have a lot of clothing in it, and I just put my Bible in it and grabbed it on my shoulder and walked out of the room and went downstairs, and I walked up to the desk, and I said, um, I need you to call me an ambulance. And they said, what's wrong? And I said, I think it's my appendix. And he says, probably not. Not with you standing in front of me. I said, well, okay. So they called an the ambulance. The guy bring me out there. They comes, and they're checking me and all that. And he says, you probably have the flu. And I said, he said, you still want to go to the hospital? I said, oh, yeah, I do. I want to go to the hospital. And he goes, well, okay. So they put me on a gurney, and they shoved me in a room and closed the door. Because they think there ain't nothing wrong with him. People with appendix rupture don't walk in a hospital. Most people don't. I do. I never even had a fever. I never even got a fever. Now, I don't understand all that. I mean, God's a good God, but Finally, I hollered from the back room and said, hey, I hurt. Mm-hmm. 
And they brought me out, and the doctor said, we got to check on you because you had congestive heart failure. And I said, well, have you checked? And he says, yeah, you seem to have recovered. I said, well, that's good news. He said, we're going to operate. So we went in. He found out that I had already ruptured, and my whole insides were full of gangrene. I was completely eat up with gangrene. He took a, went down and got a wet vac. Pretty much. And sucked everything in there that wasn't got out and sewed me back up. And so when I came to, he said, Mr. Morgan, you were sick. I said, I told you I was sick. He said, we didn't believe a word you said. I said, well, I'll never count it all joy in an emergency room again. Because you guys don't believe a thing I said. I said, if I told you I'm sick, let me tell you something, cowboy, I'm sick. Because I don't walk in hospitals. I don't go to hospitals. He said, we're going to have to keep you for a while. I said, why? He said, well, you're sick. I said, you got it? He said, we got it. I said, well, I want to go home. <laughs> he said, you can't go home. You're, you're almost dead. I said, I'm almost dead. It's not dead. That's right. That's right. So I did what Brother Hagen did. What else do you do when you're laying in the hospital all day? You get a Bible and you plan a sermon. I will live and not die and show the glory of God. With long life, he'll satisfy me and show me a salvation. In other words, I've already got the doctor's report, but I, I, I don't have time to die. I have too many things to do. Dying is inconvenient. It's in the way. I don't mean I have great faith. It just means I just chose to think about what I had to do when I got home. Right. Yeah. So the next day, the doctor comes back in. Mr. Morgan, you seem to be doing better. I said, I want to go home. He goes, you can't go home. I said, I want to go home. And you got to get this picture. He's a cowboy. He really, honest to God, Louis Amour cowboy <laughs> with handlebar mustaches that curled up. And if he had a hat and, and chaps on, I swear to God, you'd put a six-gun on this guy. And you'd, he's, a, he's a cowboy. But he's also he, he's a rancher. And a surgeon. And uh, you could tell, he's, 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 a, he's a rough old guy. And he said, Mr. Morgan, we can't send you home. I said, well, you, I said, all I'm doing here is recovering. He says, I'm recovering. He's, I said, I can recover at home. So he finally got aggravated with me and said, pull the tubes and put him on a plane. I went, glory to God. I can recover at home. Gave me all kind of pain pills. I don't know where they are. I threw them in the cabinet. I don't I don't even, I don't like taking all that junk anyway. And when on the way home, all the fluid in my belly started expanding. I had to unzip my pants on the plane. I mean, I'm pregnant out to about there. And I thought, well, he didn't tell me all this water was going to build up in me. And it starts leaking out that little hole they had made. And I'm just sitting on the plane looking like I'm nine months pregnant. I told him, it's a boy. It's a boy. Well, I don't know what day I got home. What day did I get home? It was after Sunday. I guess it was Monday. Well, Wednesday, I walked in here, and everybody went, what are you doing here? I said, I work here. <laughs> but see, this is what I saw. Are y'all out there? Yes. I'm not trying to brag. Right. I'm only doing what I've been taught my whole life. This is how you do this thing. It works, work it all the time. Yeah. 
And this is where I make the statement, if you can't see what you can't see, you'll never see it. That works for everything in life. Let me read a couple more out of this book. I got some more scriptures, but I want to read. You can't see anything without your imagination. If you can't see something on the inside, you won't be able to see it manifest in your life. If you can't see yourself healed or imagine being healthy, you'll never see healing manifest in your body. Now, do you understand why most people say, I'm believing God? They don't have any idea what they're... They've never done any of this. They're just quoting stuff they heard someone say in church. It kind of aggravates me because there's people walking around going, they're believing God. How come God didn't do this? I don't go down that road with me. They see themselves suffering in pain. Some people have been sick so long, they even see themselves sick in their dreams. Their imagination is still working, but it's working against them, and this is called a vain imagination. The people who are victims, they see everybody don't like me, and they are prophets of their own life because no one likes them. Because they're always whining about how nobody likes them. Maybe everybody does like you. I like me. I let God tell me who I am. I don't really care who you think I am. Someone says, we think this, and I go, who are you? Who who are you anyway? Who died and made you God? You think I care what you think about me? Are you serious? Some journalist, what 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 is a newspaper reporter? He's a stupid journalist. Who gives a rip what he thinks? He ain't got any sense. I got news for y'all. I have heard rumors that you could be the president of the United States and be be an idiot. It's only a rumor. It's not a rumor. Now, I'm going to read some more. I'm out of time, but I want to read this. Today, very few visionaries exist because life tries to beat the attitude out of you. Most kids are told by adults around them to quit dreaming, to quit using their imagination. They don't want you to get your hopes up. That's a death sentence. Adults tend to think of visualizing the future as fantasizing, but it's a big difference between imagination and fantasy. Imagination is the power or the process of seeing something you can't see with your physical eyes. But fantasy is only a delusion. Fantasy is imagining something that's not real. It's fiction. It's not, it's not talking about daydreaming. I'm talking about knowing the Word of God and seeing spiritual truths as it revealed. A sanctified, godly imagination is part of what, a, a part of you that conceives the things of God. It is the creative part of you it has, that has a vision for your future. This is good, isn't it? Are y'all enjoying this? Okay. Um, very few people meditate on the word. Most people just read it in order to check off the good works of their list of religious duties, hoping it'll obligate God to move in their lives. And they read the Bible out of compulsion 
and they run through it as fast as they can. After all, we wouldn't want to miss our favorite television show. And at that level, you're just reading words and putting information in your brain. It never makes its way down into your heart or your imagination, and you never conceive anything. Folks, this is very good. This is not light. Okay, there's just one more. Sometimes you, um, this is the last story. This is the one Lisa told me about and got me all fired up. I met a man who had been diagnosed with bone cancer, and he believed he would be healed, and he was, but during the process, doctors surgically removed part of his pubic bone. He wanted to use his faith to believe that his pubic bone would grow back. That's some pretty strong faith, but to grow something back that's cut out. Anyway, he cut out pictures of a human skeleton from an encyclopedia and put the pictures up all over his house. He started to imagine his pubic bone growing back, and in a short period of time, it did. Say, this is good. Folks, this, this is the missing ingredient to your faith. And I, I'm saying this because all of you will be at one time and say, oh, I'm believing God. Well, I want you to know I'm going to hook up an agreement, get an agreement with you. But start now using your faith. If you, if you were told you're an idiot when you were a kid, you'll have to use your faith to get over it. If you were told you're stupid, you're going to have to use your faith to get over it. If you grew up poor, you're going to have to use your faith and your imagination to get over it because your imagination is keeping you broke. If you're a female and you keep marrying bad men, it's your imagination. You see yourself as no good. Who would have me? Are you out there? Folks, What all of this is extremely important. For you to start seeing you the way God sees you. And it takes a while. You're going to have to work on the way you think about yourself and about your circumstances. And you do it over a period of time. Your imagination and the word of God will kick in and bring that thing you're believing to pass. It'll take you where you want to go. It took David to the throne. It took Jesus down into the region of the dam and got him back out of the throne of God because he never saw himself staying there. Do you all see that? If you want to lay hands on the sick and see them recover, you're going to have to start praying for people in your shower. I started prophesying in my shower. Three quarters of it wasn't God, but how how do you learn to ride a bicycle? Just start. Just start. Tongues and interpretation, make it up. Come over here. But don't do it in church. And I'm going to tell you, after a while, your spirit man will kick in and you'll go, that one was God. And you'll learn the difference between your head and the spirit of God, and it won't be long, but you're going to have to see it. I got more to do, but man, I'm, I'm already going way over. Say, this helped. This helped. Say, from now on, from now on. 
I'm going to start using my imagination. Because the Bible says casting down wicked or wrong thinking. You start now getting that junk out and replace that with something that the Bible says you can have. And you can go anywhere and do anything you want to do. Amen. You got this? You got something you need to do? Give an altar call and see if you can get anybody saved here tonight. I don't know. There might be. Actually, I do want to get everyone saved. Um, But I just want to give you um, a little seed, right, to take home with you tonight. Am I on, Michael? Okay. There we go. So put up Matthew 8, 17 on the screen. So we'll use this as our seed. So this is your... uh, Whatever you call it. Matthew 8, 17? Nope. Okay. We don't see it yet. So it says in Matthew 8, 17, himself took our infirmities and he, this, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, he himself, that's Jesus, took our infirmities. So what does the word took mean? Take means I just took Shantae's Bible. That means I've got her Bible and she doesn't have it anymore. I want you to take that scripture home and imagine Jesus took my sicknesses. He took all my infirmities. He took all, right? So you're going to sit and read that verse and go, Whatever I'm dealing with right now, see it being taken from you. Jesus took it. Jesus took it. He took it. And then it says he bore your sicknesses. Himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So, Kelby, get up here. So the word bore, get on all fours like a cow or a horse. All fours on your knees. Okay. Okay, just, okay, so, nope, not there. Get up right here where the people can see you. All right. So then the word bore means to support and lift up off of you and to bear the burden of. He, it, 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 it's conscious of a beast of burden that the cowboys or the ranchers or the hunters take out west. They always take a donkey, a mule. He's not a donkey or a mule, but they take a, what they call a beast of burden and they put all, they put all their junk and all their pots and pans and all their stuff on top of this beast of burden. So the rancher can walk with just his gun. Thank you, Kelby. So the word bore means to lift up off of you and carry the weight. Let me tell you this. This is sickness is a weight. Do you understand that? Any sickness, any infirmity, even a cold, even a sniffle, even a sore throat, even a headache, it's a weight and it's pain. So if you'll just take that, oh, I took all the Shante stuff. If you'll just take Matthew 8, 17, that one scripture every day, get it in front of you and say, Jesus took this weight from me. Jesus took this cancer. He took this headache. He took this whatever is causing. He took it. See it taken away from you. If he took it, you don't have it. You got that? And if he bore it, he lifted the weight of that crap off you. And he carried it as a beast of burden, not you. Jesus was the beast of burden that carried that crap on his back. It says he himself took 
our infirmities, not some people's infirmities, ours, all of them. So if he took it, you don't have to take it. If you're carrying it, you're doing double work. He already took something that doesn't belong to you. So that's why you can enforce Satan's defeat and go, look, Jack, this doesn't belong to me. You take your goods and you peddle them somewhere else because Jesus bore this already. He lifted this weight off me. He took it. If he took it, I don't have it. If I truly take her stuff, she don't have it anymore. Do you understand? So get the visual, get the imagination and take that one verse, Matthew 8, 17. I can quote it in my sleep because I had to live it. He took this. He took it. I saw it running away. I saw it gone. Did it happen right away? No. But the thing is, is it happened. It left me. And now I'm here today and I'm not bedfast. I can actually run and jump and play and ski and slalom and, and snow ski. I can do all the things I used to do before that I wasn't able to do then. Why? Because of that one verse. He took it. I imagine I'd sit in my bed. He took it. He took it. He stole it from me. Jesus took it from me. It ain't on me. He lifted the weight and that weight began to just little by little. No, it wasn't instant. Don't think it was instant. It was not instant for me. It was eight months. But little by little, it fell off me because I saw it gone. I saw Jesus holding it on his back. I saw him walking around with that weight, me free of it. I saw it on the cross. I saw the blood. I saw the thorns. I saw everything. I saw the devil doing it to him. He didn't take his own disease. He took mine. He didn't have any disease to take. He took yours. And if, you t- if you're taking something right now, it ain't yours. It belongs to the, the pit of hell. And it's not legally yours. Praise God, you're dismissed. We hope you enjoyed this message by Word of Life Church. We just wanted to let you know there's a lot more content on our website at wolapopka.com from our YouTube channel, to our podcast, to our SoundCloud, and many more events. We also wanted to let you know that we love giving you these messages. And it helps us too that if you would love to give to what we're doing, it helps keep all these messages free. You can just simply go to our website and click the big Give Now button. Or you can text 407-955-5345. And remember, our pastor's vision is this. We grow Christians. So we thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.